0: This choircast podcast is brought to you by Holy Heretics, the post-evangelical
1: podcast where being labeled a heretic is a good thing. We're starting conversations about God, politics, Christian nationalism, sexuality, gender, spiritual abuse, faith deconstruction, and how to recover from evangelicalism. Nothing is off limits in our conversations with scholars, activists, and writers in our quest to find a freer faith. Listen wherever you get your podcast or check us out at sophiasociety.org slash podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Fallow Listeners, Valentine's Day is just around the corner. So if you're struggling, then we've got the perfect gift idea for you. This is for the she's, the he's, and the they's. Anyone and everyone will love this gift. So Fallow is a wonderful company that we've been able to partner with. And I have bought bracelets from them For the last couple of months, I bought a couple for Christmas, one for my (laughs) mother-in-law. So adorable. One for my mother-in-law, one for my sister-in-law. And then I even got myself one. I have the Dolphin. And they're... So great. So let me tell you about the company. So they um, are a nonprofit and they create these bracelets and they have little animals on each bracelet. And with each purchase, they send you a QR code and they have an app where you can actually track that animal in the wild. But they also have multiple of the same animals. So if you want to get two dolphin bracelets, you're going to be tracking two different animals. Okay. They started this uh, back in 2018 and their kind of mission is to be able to help save wildlife and help um, conservation groups. And so they have partnered with a bunch of different conservation groups. Their newest addition is the Traverse Gorilla Bracelet. And that's because they partnered with the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund. And they launched this bracelet just a couple months ago, back in November of 2023. And each bracelet actually allows you to track a gorilla. And not just a gorilla, but a specific gorilla. So you get like (laughs) on the QR code package, insert thing. You get a picture of your specific gorilla. You get a picture? Oh my God. You get a picture. So on my, my dolphin, my dolphin's name is Bill, but I don't have a specific picture because it's a little bit harder to get a picture of a dolphin out in the ocean when you're trying to tag it. To be honest, don't all dolphins look the same though? Well, mine is a spotted dolphin. <gasps> oh my God. But he's only two years old and so he doesn't have his spots oh, okay. yet. So even if he did, you wouldn't be able to see it yeah, because yeah. they come around three. But so they've got uh, sea turtles, lions, elephants, sharks, polar bears, penguins, dolphins, giraffes, and gorillas. I can't wait. I know they're going to, probably eventually add more into this and have more animals. And they even have, they started doing plushies, but they're sold out right now. So hopefully, very quickly, they come back because they've got two plushies. They've got the elephant and the the polar bear. It's a need. Like, it's not a want. It's a need. I know. God. It's a need. Um, And they have really cute, just different color beads that you can get with each animal. They're wonderful. So if you want to get this for your partner for Valentine's Day, you should. You can save for 20% off by...
0: Or for a, for a friend, for for anyone, a
1: or for yourself. For, your, for yourself, honestly, I'm getting one for myself. I'm treating myself <laughs> I'm, because it's so adorable. I'm gonna get a lion. Mm-hmm. It, I've unlocked a new addiction, and this is a problem. <laughs> but that's okay. I'm okay with this addiction. It, doesn't it goes hurt to anyone. a good cause. You know? why not? It goes to a great cause. Yep. So you can save twenty percent. Just use the code DEADLYFAITH Faith, and we will link it down in the show notes for you. So again, use the code DEADLYFAITH Faith to save twenty percent. Back to the episode. Hey, heathens, you're listening to the Deadly Faith Podcast, where religion and crime collide. I'm Lacey. And I'm Lola. And this shit is fucked up.
0: The mind that was in Jesus, that mind is in me. Without me, life has no meaning. Why would God tell you what I'm thinking and tell you what I've said to my wife or my husband when you're not around? It's because I'm the pastor of the church and I need to know. This is the only place where you can see truth. Oh, I thought we were going to use malignant.
1: <laughs> I know malignant is a good word and we will. You just wait. We will leave that. Okay. We will use that in another episode.
0: It's reminding My, me of Mal- Maleficent. Male- maleficent. I've never seen that. Oh, you
1: haven't? It's a good, it's a good movie. Maleficent is one of my middle child's favorite characters. Really? Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, because Sleeping Beauty is her favorite princess That's my favorite
0: princess. Oh, is it really? I've always loved
1: Sleeping Beauty. Yeah. You're the first person besides my child that I've ever met that their favorite was Sleeping Beauty.
0: Ever since I was like seven. I love her.
1: And it is like... The oldest, in my opinion, out of all of them, it's like the oldest looking, and that could just be. It is kind my of the opinion. oldest look. I, th- I think technically Snow White is the oldest. That's true. Because it, it was 1930 when
0: that one was produced. I think ah, it's been remastered the,
1: several times. Right. But it's just, I was like, why do you like that one? And uh, Maleficent, like her favorite character is Maleficent, yeah. her favorite. Christmas characters the Grinch. Her favorite Halloween character is Jack Skeleton. See, I so identify like, with her. I know. I'm like, you are my little morbid child, and i absolutely love it. Ain't like we were watching, we were watching what was it? Um Sn- Snow White. No, not Snow White. Uh Beauty and the Beast. We were watching Beauty ah. and the Beast. And you know at the end when Gaston um is like kicked off the top of the castle yeah, and he just like goes cheer. falling into the crevasse. I'm sitting by her and mind you, she was probably like three or four at this point. Actually, okay. I think she was yeah, somewhere around this point. And he's falling to his death and she's beside me and she goes, huh. Huh. Oh shit. And I was like, oh my God. Good lord. <laughs> I'm like,
0: no one piss her off. Shit. <laughs> you know, I'm so glad that your girls get to have personalities because I never got to have a personality as a child. No, why? Just because of religion? Yeah. I never got to like or dislike anything, really. I just, like, Mm -mm. sit and obey, and that's it. Yeah. Yeah. God, that sucks. (sighs) Well, now I'm just, like, in overdrive. Uh, And I'm here for it. Get it.
1: Like a goblin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a goblin in overdrive. Well, now that we've wasted three minutes of y'all's Perfect. time, how about we jump in today's episode? And that was a pre-episode palate cleanser. And trust me, you're going to need it. So like, hold on to that. And and we will do our normal palate cleansers at the end because like I said, today's episode, it's fucked up. This is a very tragic story and there's a lot of trigger warnings. So I know I say buckle up, buttercup, but I really mean it for this one. So insert belt buckle. No, not belt
0: buckle. Seat belt buckle. <laughs> <Belt> buckle <laughs> yeah.
1: So trigger warnings um, murder. Um, it's pretty brutal and it gets a little graphic at times. Pedophilia, sexual assault, child abuse, kidnapping, and even survivor's guilt. So that's a lot of trigger warnings. There's a lot going on in this case. And I just, I can't even prepare you for it. I really can't. Besides, it's fucked up. And buckle up. We're like gonna so. raw
0: dog you just like life. Why do I say these things? <laughs> could someone just stop me? Just simply, I will simply pass away. That—that's all there is to it. I just can't. Uh, you have no filter, and I'm here you for know it. What? I just love it. <laughs> I'm crying. I could have been a lot better, but I chose to be a lot worse.
1: You know, that's—that's that's okay. Is that a quote from a movie, or did you just know? Just,
0: <laughs> pull, pull that out of your ass. I I guess so. Felt more like an armpit pull out, but whatever. It's applicable, so.
1: All right, let's jump into this. So on May 16th, 2005, in beautiful Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, Bob Hollingsworth went to his neighbor's house to pay their teenage son, Slade. He had done some yard work for the neighbor a couple days before, and so he was coming down to pay him. Mm-hmm. As he approached the home, he went to the back door and realized it was already open just slightly, so he started to yell out to the family, but got no response. He stepped inside, but instantly saw a massive amount of blood, so he just stepped out and called 911. Get out. Yeah, exactly. When he told the dispatcher what he found, they told him that they would send out a deputy, but Bob responded with, quote, you better send more than one. End quote. (sighs) Okay. I mean, full send. I agree. Oh, so let's talk about who lives in this home. Pause. Was this person a white person that stumbled upon this scene? I think his name was Bob. So I'm going to go out on a limb here. And we're in North Idaho. I'm going to guess. Yes, it was a white man. Yeah, I'm
0: going to say it's white. Um, <laughs> The one white person to do the right thing in a horror film. That just happened with this that person. That just happened. <laughs> Yeah, just happened. Sees blood, mm-hmm. goes oh hell no, and calls uh, the hell, cops. Like hell no, doesn't try to investigate. Thank yeah. you. Thank At you least from what
1: I from what I researched, I, he did not go into the house, nice or find anything else. But before we move on, side note: I have a cold, so um, if I sound a little nasally, you know, just roll with me. My kids got me sick. You sound great to me. Thank you. Thank you for the birth control. It's usually at night when I'm sleeping. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. (laughs) Enjoy it. Enjoy it as much as you can. (laughs) All right. So, in this home, there lived Brenda Groney and her boyfriend, Mark McKenzie. Mark was an old friend from high school, and they had actually started dating just a few years prior to this. Right before they started dating, Brenda had gone through... Uh, a divorce, and had moved back to the Coeur area with three out of her five children. Her two older kids stayed living with their father, but the younger three, Dylan, Shasta, and Slade, lived with Brenda. Now, when Brenda came back to Coeur d'Alene, uh, she moved into the family home that was located in the Wolf Lodge District right outside Coeur d'Alene. This home set on a large piece of property and was just about 9 miles outside Cordellane city limits. And this home had been within their family for decades. This was the house that she spent a lot of time growing up. Um her dad was raised in this home. It was out in Ugh, the country. I they love just, a childhood home. Yeah. It is a childhood home. Yeah. And throughout the years, this home was known to have an open door policy. It didn't matter if you were family, extended family, friends of the family, you were always welcome at the home anytime, day, night, rain, snow, sunshine, whatever it was, open door policy. Now, when we talk about this home being in the family for decades, it was also the epitome of like what you would think of as an old home. It didn't have... Really, any of the modern amenities that we're used to. It had like mainly electricity and plumbing and things like that. Did they have a
0: laundry chute? I don't know. I fucking love a laundry chute. I swear to God. I do too. Them taking that out of houses was the worst thing
1: that we've ever done in the modern world. And I could use a laundry chute because literally my bathroom is right the fuck over my washer and dryer in my basement. So, like, maybe we'll install one in our fucking Remodel. We're
0: going to install one, but it would have to be in the master bedroom to go downstairs to our
1: laundry room. But mm. either way, I don't care. I don't care. I know. I want one. I'm going to install one now. Thanks for that. Love an old house. But yeah. Proceed. No, this house didn't have like, like a dishwasher, a washer and uh, a dryer. And like they cooked on a propane stove. Well yeah, brother. Because this is like... I know, right? This is the way that they grew up. This is what they were used to. They really didn't mind it. They enjoyed the quietness of being in the country. So they were all, they were, they were cool with it. Now, if you are not, have you ever heard of Portelaine, Idaho? No. No? Okay. So for those who are listening who, also, do not know what. Uh, I don't know anything about Idaho besides potatoes. I'm from Alabama. I, and most people welcome to the world. Like most people, that's all I know. About potato. Idaho. My life is potato. Potato. <laughs> um. So let me paint a picture of Coeur Idaho, for you. I actually used to live there. I lived Shut in. Up. I I've did. Lived, I lived everywhere. Co- anyway, uh, because of my husband. <gasps> I lived there. From early 2013 to late 2014. And Tyler, my husband, he actually lived there most of his like adolescent years. That's where he spent most of his like growing up years. And if you ask him, he would consider that home for him. We even considered moving back there, but (laughs) it's very expensive to live, especially since COVID. Like, really? It's astronomical. Mm -hmm. So, in Idaho? Yeah. So, Coeur d'Alene is in the panhandle of Idaho. It's very far up north. And you're literally just about from Coeur d'Alene to get to the border of Washington's only about 30 minutes. And then to get to Canada is only a couple hours. So, you're pretty far up there, um, up north. Yeah. Very, very pretty. So, imagine living in a place where no matter which way you turn your head, you're surrounded by pine-covered, beautiful mountains that are just blanketed in snow every single winter. Country and roads. It, it, the country roads everywhere. There's hiking trails within these forests that interweave nice. amongst all the trees. You have lookout points like every so far while you're hiking and it's just gorgeous. Uh, the summers are beautiful there as well. Um, getting to soak up the sunshine, Coeur has a beautiful lake now, Coeur d'Alene is known for it's a lot of like I wouldn't say maybe Hollywood, but or like just rich people will go there okay. to spend their vacations there. It's a it's a nice area for rich people, um, and a lot of people after COVID started moving there. Um, a lot of people from like California. And, Are we sponsored by this by this part of know. Idaho? The way we're hyping it up. If yeah, if you haven't, if you couldn't tell, I. Absolutely love this part of Idaho. I just wish it wasn't in. I just wish it was part of Washington, and then I'd be like totally cool living there again. But no, it's still part of Idaho. So you have all the Republican bullshit that you have to deal with. Gotcha. <laughs> but I deal with that right now. You deal with that. So classic. You know. ah, but what a dilemma. It's beautiful, and this is they live right on the outside of Coeur d'Alene, so that is where this whole story takes place. Now, Brenda moved back to Coeur d'Alene a few months before she reconnected with Mark McKenzie. After reconnecting with him, it didn't take long before they started dating. Mark had been like a high school friend. I'm not sure if I mentioned that earlier. Mark was said to be one of those great classic hometown country boys. He loved going fishing and hunting, and he had a very kind spirit and just a beautiful soul. A car heart treated- mm-hmm. Yeah, yummy. there you go. That's a great way of <laughs> describing it—a Carhartt man.
0: I can't unlike see them as the Carhartt vest men when I think of country boys. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that that'll get Carhartt the men. The Southern bells over, he's going. The Carhartt yeah, vest, like,
1: ab- absolutely. I love <laughs> me a Carhartt, and I'll be honest. So, Mark. It didn't take him long to really build a really good relationship with all three of the kids and they took to him very well. And he treated all three of them like they were his own. Mm. So they were just a wonderful, loving family at this point. Now, Brenda's oldest out of the three that lived with her was Slade and he was 13 years old. He was really getting into music and he started to come into his own during these really like beginning of his crucial teen years. Shasta was the middle child. No, 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 Dylan. Dylan was the middle child and he, out of these three, and he was nine years old. And Dylan was said to be really shy um, and bashful. And Brenda, his mom, called him her little teddy bear, which I thought... Shut up. Was absolutely adorable. Mm -hmm. Shasta was the youngest and she was eight. So her and Dylan were very close in age. And she... Was said to have been a tomboy and she loved dressing up, but she was a tomboy, but also loved dressing up and helping her mom. She was described as somebody who was cute but tough. And since she was the only girl, she had all of her brothers whipped.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) hell yeah.
1: Was absolutely cute. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, after about four years of Brenda and Mark dating, she asked him to move in to their home in the Wolf Lodge district and he did. So now that we know who lives in this home, Let's jump back to the scene on May 16th, 2005. So after Bob, the neighbor, calls the police, they end up arriving within just a few minutes. The Wolf Lodge property was conveniently located just like right off the interstate. So it gave it pretty good access to get on and off the interstate coming to and from. Mm -hmm. So police um, get there. They start to get out of their patrol car and they said all that they could hear was the dog barking. Knowing that the caller had said to have seen a massive amount of blood, they're uneasy about what they're about to walk into. But it's their job. They don't have a choice. So they approach (sighs) the home and enter. Immediately as they walk through the threshold, they see massive amounts of blood. They continue through the home and in the living room, they find Brenda, Mark and Slade with their hands tied behind their back with zip ties and duct tape along with duct tape wrapped around their face and their mouth. Now what was weird was each person was laying in a line head to foot. So Slade was laying with his head by his mom's feet Brenda and then Brenda was laying with her head by Mark's feet. What? So it was kind of it was weird how they were positioned and that struck police as odd and they made note of it. Now, the police that arrived quickly secure the scene and call for detectives. The detective that was called in had actually taken the day off because it was his birthday. And when he oh, got shit. the call that there had been a mass <sighs> murder, he thought it was a prank. He legit thought that people oh were my trying, like, the office was trying to play a prank on him on his birthday. And he's like, shut up, guard. And they're like, Nah, dude, we got three <laughs> murdered. And he's like, oh, fuck. Are you serious? No, did it happen that way? No, I totally made that up. But see,
0: this is why I couldn't be a detective or a cop because I, oh, I know. That's some shit I would be like, you guys are
1: fucking with me, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have you ever watched the show Lucifer on Netflix? No. Okay. It's really good, the first handful of seasons, and then it kind of becomes monotonous because like the same shit happens over and over again. Uh, but Lucifer is actually really the devil. He's like actually the devil. And he's on Earth. Yummy. And he starts helping. I know, right? And he is yummy. And he starts <laughs> helping out this detective. But that's what he does. Like every fucking <laughs> murder just scene they go to. He just he just says shit all the time. It's just like, oh my God. Like if you're a cop, you could not get away with. He crosses all the boundaries, but it's quite hilarious. It's a good show. At least the first handful of seasons. So.
0: I just want you to stop saying odd shit. Yeah, it's it's a fun meme. It's a funny meme. You haven't seen it. I
1: I, I was like I, I
0: was like she's next quoting time something I see not- that one <laughs> I will send it to you because it's so good.
1: <laughs> it's so good. I just, <laughs> okay. Quoting okay. Proceed to shit. the root. <laughs> All right. So um, this guy thinks it's a prank, and it's not a prank. There's really three dead. Also, not only did he think it was a prank, but this is not something that they deal with in Coeur d'Alene. Coeur d'Alene. is considered to be one of the safer areas to live even today and especially back in 2005. You know, this was a safe area. So like having a mass murder was not something they dealt with all the time. Mm. So needless to say, this was just pretty shocking for everybody involved in the investigation. So the detective arrives and begins his investigation, and it was very clear that the victims had been brutally attacked. Each one of them had had multiple bludgeonings to their head. The officers and detectives searched the home, and they end up finding a lot of guns and a lot of ammo, but noted that none of the home had seemed to have, like, been rifled through. Now, we're in North Idaho, or really Idaho in general Having a lot of guns is not something that's out of the ordinary. So that wasn't what was shocking. It was shocking that they were all still there. And nothing in the house was rifled through. So this led them to quickly come to the realization that this was most likely not a robbery gone wrong type situation. Especially with how like brutal the situation was as well. Like if it's a robbery gone wrong, it's usually like a gunshot wound or a stabbing, not a bludgeoning to multiple people.
0: I'm sorry, at this point, they don't know where the other two kids
1: are, right? We will get to that. <sighs> I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw no, no. up and die no. real quick. <laughs> okay. Now, as they searched the home, they end up finding a framing hammer that was identified as the murder weapon. They also discovered a fingerprint by the front door that they were able to retrieve. Now, they noted that the front door wasn't forced open, so this led them to believe that maybe the Grony family either knew their attacker, willingly let them into their home, And or the door was unlocked and the attacker just walked in, so. Which would track because of the whole, like, open
0: door policy, like. Exactly. Honestly, my my grand-grand, that's how her house is. And they only lock the doors, you know, at night kind of thing, so.
1: Yeah, I hope my grandma locks her door at night. But, like, I don't even know (sighs) if my family, my old, old, old members of my family do that. Yeah. It's just how life was for them growing up. Mm -hmm. Everything. I don't want to say everything was safer. I want to say everything seemed safer. And I think that was because we didn't have access to media the way that we do now. So like a crime happens and like yeah. we know about it in the blink of an eye. And because like, we can't really say it was safer when like the 70s and stuff were like the high peak of like serial killer times. So more. I think it's good Lord. I think it's not appropriate for people to be like, it was Schaefer back in my day. Nah, Brenda. You just didn't fucking know about the crime. It was so much better
0: back in the day. Yeah, you had less rights and you had more serial killers. Jot that down.
1: Also I just said Brenda and I just like threw that name out there. I know. It was, it was, I, I, thought that. About I didn't that mean too. that. And the Brenda I'm talking about in this case. Ooh. Sorry, didn't mean that. That's fine. Anyways, so now one of the first officers that was on the scene, he knew the family personally. Mm -hmm. And after searching the home and finding the bodies, he quickly realizes that Dylan and Shasta, the two younger kids, were nowhere to be found. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I think because of the two missing kids and the fact that this is a mass murder and isn't something that the Coeur Lane police is used to or has a lot of experience in, they did quickly call in the help from state police and the FBI. So... As they are calling in for assistance, Brenda's mom was at home that morning and she Mm -hmm. turned on the TV and found out that there had been three murders in the Wolf Lodge district. Now, like everybody else's first reaction, she was nervous, but quickly started to like deny it. Like, oh, there's no way that that could be my family. It was, it's very much that whole like, oh, it could never happen to me until it does. So they hadn't
0: alert, I mean... They hadn't alerted like family members before
1: media. Um, I think they didn't alert media. I think a media just like just kind of caught the on the area and okay. caught on. Okay. Because it's it was so such a buzz and right off the interstate. So it was pretty that's easy true. for and nothing big and ever happens.
0: So yeah, the vultures come mm-hmm. in whenever. Yeah. Big prey. So,
1: so they and this all happened so fast, like getting the investigator there identifying for sure who the bodies were. And so I think it just happened so fast because this was in the morning still that she turned on the TV and found that news. So it all happened just really fast. So she decided, I'm not going to freak out. I'm going to stay calm and I'm just going to call the police and figure out what's going on. So she calls and unfortunately they confirm that the three dead are her daughter, Brenda, Mark, Brenda's Mm. boyfriend, and slayed her 13-year-old grandson. Now, of course, she immediately starts to break down. She's devastated. But before she can even start to, like, grapple with what she's been told, they inform her that her two youngest grandchildren are missing. Mm. So now her and all the other family members who are left have to shelf their grief and anything to like process through what's happened in order to put all of their focus into trying to find Shasta and Dylan. And I I can't, how the fuck do you even function
0: in that? Compartmentalizing. I don't know how you do that. It's, I feel for this family. I know.
1: Now, everybody's first hope was that the kids somehow escaped the home during the attack and they had ran off into the woods and were just hiding. And that if they just searched the woods, the kids would be found safe and alive. So they did a massive search. It ensued very quickly um, and they checked the rivers and all through the surrounding woods. But with each passing hour, nothing was turning Mm. up. They were getting no Mm. leads at all, no evidence to show that they even went into the woods. They continued checking the woods. A search party is still searching, but... Since the Groney home was right off the interstate, this did lead investigators to theorize that the kids could have been kidnapped and the attacker or <sighs> That's kidnapper what I was mm-hmm,
0: could the have had a very there.
1: easy, it is, Mm-hmm. he could have had an easy route in and out. So... They quickly put out an Amber Alert, the state police do, for Shasta and Dylan, and they put out their pictures and the information, and it was blasted all throughout Idaho, the surrounding states, and eventually all throughout the U.S. Now, on the second day of the investigation, the police found out about a small house party that the Grony family had had the night of the 15th. They discovered that at this party, there was a verbal disagreement between a man named Bob. This Bob is one of their friends, not Bob the neighbor. It's not the so, bo- okay. Two, it's not Bob's two different Bobs. We got two different Bobs going on. Bob one, Bob so I'll call two, him. wrong Bob two. Okay, <laughs> Bob friend and Bob neighbor. So I will distinguish between the two. Bob neighbor doesn't really come up very much anymore, but okay. Bob the friend and Mark and Brenda. They had had some kind of disagreement over money. Jesse, one of Brenda's oldest kids, who lived with their biological father told the police that Bob owed Mark some money and that Bob had a criminal history with drugs. So since Bob already has a criminal history, they scanned like, or they went through and found his fingerprints in the system and compared them to the fingerprint that they had found um, by the back door. And lo and behold, it was actually a match. So they decide that Bob is now their number one suspect. And so they go to try to speak with him but realize that he's nowhere to be found. They think it's like he's just skipped town. So they do some digging and they end up getting in touch with his probation officer. And his probation officer told them that Bob told him that he was leaving town on the 16th to visit family. Now, naturally... (laughs) This looks highly suspicious that Naturally, the day after the murder. Naturally, going yeah. <laughs> to say. <laughs> Buddy boy. You know like, what's happening? You just went out of town the next day. Like, mm, yeah, that's weird. So the police decide to immediately go to the public and ask for help tracking Bob down. It doesn't take long for Bob to find out that he himself is now the number one suspect, and he actually turned himself into the parole to his parole officer. Oh he my was god! Like, oh, He's like, I didn't. He's fucking like, oh do it. shit! Like, <laughs> it's it was not I mean, me. <laughs> so uh, he. Turned himself in and they started to interview him extensively. And he was very cooperative. He informed the police that there was no fight over money. Bob had actually been going through a really hard time financially and his home was under foreclosure. And he was trying to get his home to like, he was trying to save his home. And Brenda and Mark loaned him $1,000. And so they were just talking about that. It was, there was never an actual like disagreement of any sort. Mm-hmm. He also told them that he wasn't evading police. His aunt had died and he was going to her funeral. (laughs) Oh, no. I know. This poor dude. I know. know. I'm like, oh. It's like you can see both sides. Like, I can totally see how the police went down that path and they've got to do their job. I get it. But they checked out his alibi. Everything checked out. Bob even agreed to take a polygraph test. And he did. And he passed it. So they quickly end up eliminating him as a suspect. So Bob is now not a suspect, but unfortunately this leaves them with no leads. Literally, absolutely not one. So Coeur d'Alene police, uh, this- On the weapon, they didn't get any like
0: mm -mm. DNA off of it. I know they got the one fingerprint, but like- No DNA,
1: no other fingerprints were found. What is the motive
0: here, people?
1: Mm -hmm. Where are the children? I have so many questions. I know. It, we do get answers to everything. Like okay, literally good. everything. So you your answer your questions will be answered by the end of this. Okay. So Coeur d'Alene police, the state police, and even the FBI have no idea what direction to take. So in desperation, the police go back to the crime scene and take a second look. Now, as they look at the crime, of course it looks, like I said earlier, like a crime of passion. So they start to theorize that maybe Steve, Brenda's ex, was their next suspect. Maybe he snapped. They were going through some kind of disagreements when it came to the custody of their children. So mm-hmm. could that have made him so mad that he snapped and murdered half the family and kidnapped uh. the other two? You know, who knows? But that is natural to kind of go that way and, and look at the family first. So three days after the massacre, Steve was interviewed. He was actually living with Brenda's mom at this time. And it was not one of those situations where like Brenda's mom was choosing her son in law over her own daughter. It was mm-hmm. more of a you're still family. Like you've been in this family for uh, years upon years. You we have grandkids and I want to help you guys out.
0: There's just like a thing. loyalty there. Yeah. That's been and it was like I,
1: from what I yeah, from what I can tell, there was no hard feelings even on Brenda's side. It was just this is just how a the mutual, situation unfolded hmm yeah gotcha at least that's kind of how I was interpreting it so well I believe you so during the interview uh Steve says that the night of the murders he was at home on his computer since he doesn't really have a solid alibi like I was at home on my computer which at first it's like oh that's kind of suspicious like that's all you got but at the same time like how many nights out of the week is that going to be your alibi Like seven out of seven for me. (laughs) I was on my phone. (laughs) Right. I was at home on TikTok. Uh, Right. And at least today, like in 2023, like that's way more trackable and hopefully more of of an ability to like confirm. But it's also like, it's just a device. So you can't really like say this specific person was yeah. using that device. You can just say yeah. this device was being used during this time. Mm-hmm. So it's not a, not a solid alibi by any means. So um, they ask him to take a polygraph and he agrees. But shockingly, he fails it. <gasps> so this means that he has now claimed the spot as their number one suspect. But unfortunately, they can't keep him solely on the results of a Polygraph test, you know, they're inadmissible in court. Yeah. You can't use it. So it can help detectives guide them in a direction for their investigation, but it's not solid evidence by any means. So they let him go. And out of desperation, Steve holds a press conference and desperately pleads with the kidnappers to bring his kids home safe. Now, at the press conference, I still don't understand why he said this, but at the press conference, Steve said, quote, My kids have nothing to do with any of this. Any of what? That's exactly what the police said. They were like... What's happening? What? Like, what, what... Do you know the motive, Steve? Exactly. That's what everybody thought. And so he... Why were they lined up? Head to toe. He's trying to get the suspicion taken off of him, but instead he's heaping more onto (laughs) He, Oh, my God. With a neon sign. With a fucking neon sign. Steve... Why'd you do it, Steve? <laughs> so police are like, huh? And they start to kind of dig into Steve and his background, and they find out that he is a motorcyclist and he actually hangs out around some of the motorcycle gangs around this area. Hot. And he's, I know, right? <laughs> Not the next part though, because they never mind. They theorized that the motorcyclists had gotten, he pissed them off somehow. And this was them getting <sighs> revenge. And apparently, the motorcycle gangs in this area are known to use hammers as, like, their choice of weapon.
0: Oh, never so mind. Like, That's
1: not hot. In a, That's, uh, no. Right? Right. In a weird Immediate turn, turn of events. Right. <laughs> in you a weird use turn a hammer of, for
0: anything other anything. than household carpentry things, <laughs> I don't want anything you, to do with
1: it. Uh, yeah. Uh, Immediate turn off. Immediately. At, I'm dry as the Sahara Desert sun.
0: <laughs> Mm-mm.
1: <laughs> the way you said, I'm dry. I'm dry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also at my throat's dry because like I'm mean, I have a cold, so I keep having like, to take a drink um, of my tea.
0: What is it? Doctor it works. Doctor Who? Is that it? Doctor What? I don't... The the Moisturize Me. Who the what? she's like a piece of skin? Like on canvas. And she's like, <gasps> oh, Moisturize me. Yes,
1: Doctor Who. That is. Is it Doctor, Doctor who? who? I said Doctor yes, What? Doctor, Doctor Who? who? <laughs> Moisturize me. (laughs) And it is a miracle that I know what the fuck you're talking about because I've seen like three episodes. Andrew can't stop watching it it
0: recently. He's gone all the way back.
1: (laughs) See, I tried to go all the way back and watch it, but then I don't think Tyler was really into it or we got distracted. I don't know. I can't remember. But yeah, no. So back to the gangs. Yes. Yeah. So this is their theory. And because of this, poor Steve... Um, he's put through the ringer. He is interviewed over and over and over again, and even Brenda's family is vouching for his alibi, saying like he was at home, he was with us. We know he didn't do it. Yeah, but I can understand why police are still focusing on that because they got nothing else to go on. They yes, exactly. They have nothing else to go on. And he said that thing. Also, he did say that thing. Steve, why the fuck did you say that thing? But I can also understand that the family's probably like fucking pissed because like Brenda's mom, she knows Steve was there that night. She knows he didn't do the murders and they're spending all their, you know, most of their energy on him. And so she's like, go, go find my goddamn grandkids!" You know, I don't know if she said that, but like, that's what I'd be fe- feeling. And that's what I'd want to say. No, thats uh, I think that's accurate, probably. Now, they also searched his room and they took his computer and they had him take even more polygraph tests. Eventually, they did discover that Steve's computer was being used during the time of the murders. And they ruled that it was most likely him who was using the computer. He took he took multiple more polygraphs. I wasn't able to find out like if he passed or didn't pass, all of them or some of them. But eventually they did discover that Steve's computer was being used during the murders and ruled that it was most likely Steve himself who was using the computer during that time. So... After weeks of grueling interviews and multiple polygraphs, and I'm sure a ton of public scrutiny (sighs) and speculation, and I can't imagine what he went through during this time, Steve was finally ruled out as a suspect. Wow. Now, this is good in the sense of like, we know Steve didn't do it. The family knows Steve didn't do it. So like, let's focus on something else, but they have nothing else to focus on. (laughs) (sighs) <sighs> because there's literally not one lead. There's not one piece of evidence, and they are just consumed with trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. Mm-hmm. They continued the search, even though they suspected them to be kidnapped. They continued the search for, I think it was like a week after their disappearance, and wow. within the days okay. after the massacre, yeah, them. I think it was about a week, yeah, the four un, 400 acres around the home had been searched, and... There was no sign of the kids, dead, alive, no fabric, no toys, no like literally nothing that could point them to the, like maybe they went out into the forest, nothing. So with no leads, no tips, they decided, the police decided to just keep pushing Dylan and Shasta's photos within the media, um, billboards and more. They did get a glimmer of hope um, that the kids were still alive because they did the testing on the blood in the house and it all came back as Slade's blood that they had found. Oh, So there was some blood of like Brenda and Mark around their bodies, but all the blood that mm-hmm. was kind of everywhere that they the neighbor had seen and then the police had saw everywhere, that was Slade's blood. None of Does it. Does that mean more damage was done to him? We do find out what happened to him, and it's it's very tragic. I will say, but
0: who's got anything against Slade? He's just a musician with
1: a badass oh, name. I know, I know, I love that name. I think it's mm-hmm. so freaking that's like cute. a romance novel name. Like it really Steel is. Or Wolf? <laughs> oh, you know? I like that. Wolf. Ugh. Come on, I don't even know what you look like, but Wolf is just ugh. there. You go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back to the story. Yeah, so the blood is not Shasta's and it's not Dylan. So they do have this glimmer of hope that they are alive. But the search, they continued it, still leading to nothing. So they're just hoping that by putting these pictures out in the media and kind of like bombarding the media and billboards with their photos, that it will give them a better chance of somebody within the public recognizing one of them if they end up being in a public setting at some point. So they put a lot of their energy there. Now they mm-hmm. were still running down tips that would come in or things like police were still actively working. Most police officers and investigators were working seven days a week, 16 to 17 hours a day. Most of these men had children themselves. And the fact that these kids had most likely been kidnapped and could be out there alive was, it just, it really hit these investigators hard. And they For sure. put in the time. To try to find them,
0: even if you don't know them, when kids are involved, I, it
1: makes it all all more real, you know. Oh, uh, yeah, it it really does. Now, um, unfortunately, though, lead after lead and tip after tip, it they were met with just dead ends. They led nowhere. That is until July second, around one thirty a.m. on that night, Coeur d'Alene nine one one dispatchers got a phone call from a waitress at the local Denny's. I'm on the edge of my fucking seat. I didn't think not one would get called again. Whoop, whoop. Not, not one gets called. This is pretty crazy. So, okay, <laughs> this waitress calls and says that there is a little girl with a six foot three tall man with dark hair with her at the Denny's right there, right then. And the little girl looks like Shasta Shastagroni. At the fucking Denny's? What? At the Denny's. At the Denny's. Without wasting a second they're like we we're, we're on our way now apparently from the waitress's perspective around 1:30 a.m. the waitress had walked over to the grown man and the little girl seating in her sitting at her section as she walked up to the table she noticed that the little girl looked very dirty and um, and she asked them if she could get them anything to drink but the little girl would not talk at all whatsoever. Mm. She also noticed when she looked over at the man that the man wouldn't take his eyes off of the little girl. Phew. The waitress felt yeah uneasy about the situation, which most of us would. Valid. Uh, she looks back at the little girl and quickly realizes that it's Shasta Groney sitting at her t- at the table. <laughs> While she's coming to this realization, the little girl looks at the man and he nods to give her permission to order something. The little girl Uh. looks up at the waitress and asks for a milkshake. The waitress tells her that it'll be right out and walks away. Instead of going to make the milkshake, she goes to her manager and tells her that she suspects that the little girl sitting in her section is Shasta Groney. They quickly call 911 and while... while the police are trying to make their way over to the Dennys, the waitress okay. decides to try and stall the man and the little girl. The waitress knows that it's going to take the police anywhere from six to eight minutes to get to the Denny's. so she has to stall them for the next six to eight minutes. Now, that doesn't seem like a lot a long time. like just slow down making the milkshake, right? Mm. Well when she goes to like turn to make the milkshake she notices the man and the little girl start to stand. So she walks over to them pretty quickly and stands in front of them and says, "Can I get you anything else? The little girl's milkshake it it'll, it's almost done." And without taking his eyes off the little girl, the man says, "We just want our check." So now she's like, "Fuck, like I got to stall, I got to stall." So she goes back to the register and this woman she, she starts fidgeting with the register and she's like, oh yeah. man, it won't print your check. And I was like, you are a genius. Like, yes. oh my gosh. <laughs> she's like, I am so sorry about the wait. And she's being so polite, but like, just like this old thing, you know, and trying to stall as much as she can. Mm-hmm. I think um, the man and Shasta ended up sending, sitting back down and waiting for her to get the check and everything. And she could tell that he was, like, getting nervous and just, like, wanted to get out of there. But as they were sitting there, the police walk in, and they tap the man on the shoulder, and he turns <laughs> around and is arrested. Yes! Now, Shasta, it is confirmed that that little girl is Shasta Groney. Eight-year-old, <sighs> sweet little Shasta. And she is taken to the hospital to be examined. So... Let's talk about (laughs) this goddamn motherfucker. We we will get there, I promise. Okay. So, who is is the man? Who is this man that Shasta has been found with? So, in this man's belongings, the police officers find his driver's license and find out that his name was Joseph Duncan. When the police officers ran his name, they found out that he was a fugitive on a molestation charge out of Minnesota. What? Yeah, and he was considered to be a level three sex offender. I don't know what that means. This means that he, it means that he committed the most extreme sex offenses and was at, at high risk of reoffending. Oh, trust me, Lola has like a super shocked look on her face. You're, it's gonna get worse. When I tell you that our system goddamn fucking failed, it's an understatement. Like, you're gonna be so mad. I'm not even kidding. Second
0: seatbelt going on. Click. Right?
1: We need the, we need the fucking five-point harness for this one. Damn. I tell you. Mm. So Joseph grew up in the Seattle, Washington and Tacoma, Washington areas and was raised by a very strict religious mother who dealt out very stern disciplines. At the age of only 17, Joseph was prosecuted for assaulting a 14-year-old boy. He Ugh. was sentenced to 20 years and put through a sex offender program in prison. So the sex offender program was like through the, like, I think the state mental um, hospital. And so he only spent a year and a half at the Seattle or Washington State Hospital. And during his time there, he was evaluated numerous times, numerous. And every single one of his fucking evaluations concluded that Joseph Duncan was a man that would never be able to be rehabilitated. Oh, shit. Never. So after a year and a half, they sent him back to prison. Like, the program is useless for you. You can't be rehabilitated. You are a danger to society and children. Like, do you know? So they sent him back to prison. Because our system is broken as fuck, he was actually paroled Granted fucking parole in 1996. He had these evaluations, these documents stating he cannot be rehabilitated and he was given parole. This
0: is not shocking. They'd rather rack up drug charges on people and and put people in jail for that kind of shit and let rapists and, and pedophiles
1: walk free. Mm-hmm. They need the money. And yes, Joseph, Joseph Duncan is white. I'm sure we all could have assumed that by this point. But mm-hmm. yes, Joseph Duncan is white. I pictured a white man.
0: Anytime I think of a prisoner, I think of a white man, to be honest. I
1: know. Same. Same. And I know some people are like, why are you bring color into it? Because it's true. It's fucking because true. Look at white statistics. White people are very abusive, uh, historically. Mm-hmm. You know? And they get away with crimes more often. They're they they they're they get more lenient sentences for more extreme crimes. So true. A black person gets a more extreme sentence for a less heinous crime or yeah. a less um like physically harming crime. You mm-hmm. get what I'm saying. So he gets paroled. Now he moved to Missouri, but failed to register as a sex offender, which Violated his parole, and he was sent back to prison, but was paroled again the very next year in 1997. Yeah, that tracks. What? Yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. but he violated his parole again (laughs) because he wasn't in contact with his parole officer. So he was sent back to prison and was forced to finish the remainder of his 20 years. Now I get him being released from prison in 2000, after he finished his 20 years. There's not much else they can do. Mm-hmm. He did his crime, and his tw- he was sentenced to 20 years. He hadn't committed, quote unquote, another crime, so it's not like they could keep him in prison. Yeah, no. But he should not have been paroled no. and at all whatsoever, and he should have... We'll find out more. His paroles are going to come back, his years, okay? okay? Keep those in your head. So. He's released in 2000. Now, Joseph then moved to Fargo, North Dakota to study computer science at a local university. To those around him, he was actually considered to be a poster boy for ex-cons. He was great. He's reformed. Nice. (laughs) He lived in Fargo for a couple of years, and during that time, anytime there was a missing person or a sex crime, the police came by and interviewed him. He is a registered sex offender. It's natural That's the way for it those people to be at the top of the list, especially when a sex crime is committed. So, of course, the police are going to come and interview you and see if you have an alibi. But Joseph didn't like that. After a few years of this, he started to just get really pissed off. And he's decided that, like, if the cops were just going to treat him like a sex offender, then he was just going to go out and be one again. <sighs> That's
0: in, not how know. that's supposed to go, Mister Stinky, N- No, Nasty Man. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Makes a lot more sense why they were like he can't be rehabilitated. Disgruntled Gee. white men with psych evals like his. We, we've got to give I mean, more look, more credit to the mental health professionals here. Come on, there if there's their word oh, matters what is her
1: name. Uh, what is her name I'll think of it and I will link her YouTube down in the show notes but she does true crime and I haven't watched her in a while but I used to and she always would say <laughs> that like she wishes she could create like one of those Jurassic Park worlds uh-huh. and like the top just like opens up and we just drop these like really heinous criminals in the uh-huh. center, and we're like good luck <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm like I'm sorry if that's like inhumane of me but like I can agree. There I are mean, certain ones that I'm like, you know, just drop them in. Let them go back to the earth and hopefully never get reborn again. Because Jesus. Honestly, isn't that
0: a little bit more humane though? Like having, this is a dumb idea, but like having an island or something where you put people like this. And mm-hmm. the, like the only rule is you can't leave.
1: Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's been for yourself kind of thing. This is the hard part I have with any kind of like like really not crucial but like um in I guess inhumane or what people what controversial punishments for for prisoners and criminals and stuff is I know too many cases where like the innocent have been found guilty. See yeah that and so that's where I run into a problem with even the death penalty. And so it's like... I'm still not fully yeah. convinced. So like, I get I get that some people
0: can't be rehabilitated. Mm-hmm. I just still haven't reconciled it in my brain. Because like, mm-hmm. everyone's going to hate me for this.
1: Because mm-hmm. you want to believe that like, you want to believe that like, you, no, I, like... Am I right? Like, you want to believe there's still something good there. There's still something like, as long as you're breathing... I think that there's still something, a crumb. I can see, I can see your point. And I can see where your heart is and where you're coming from. It's hard to reconcile any of this though. Knowing what I know about mental health as somebody who's trauma informed, and I'm not like a licensed therapist or counselor or anything like that, but just knowing what I know, like there are people that just, they can't be changed. We can't give up on them, though. Like, what do we do? I also don't know if I agree that they should have the death penalty. Yeah. But it depends on the person. Because sometimes I'm like, yeah, you should just die. I
0: still, I can never get behind the death penalty. I can never get behind that. I just, whether or not I believe in a God or gods, I can't play one, you know?
1: Yeah, I I can get behind the death penalty in in my mind with I don't blame anybody that does. Yeah. I can get behind it in my mind and in in theory, like talking about the cases. Yeah. But I don't know if I could You could be an executioner if I was on a jury. If I oh hell no, I can be an executioner. Oh fuck that shit. Uh uh. Yeah. That's a special person that I don't, I don't even want to go there, but I I couldn't be on a jury. I couldn't be the one to say, yeah, you're, you, you get sentenced to death. Yeah. I just, I don't know if I could do that. It's, it's something that we're gonna
0: have to wrestle with throughout this whole mm -hmm. like journey of uh, this podcast, you know,
1: and, Every true crime podcaster that I've listened to um and they've been doing this for a while mm-hmm. their their opinions and where they stand on especially the death penalty and things like that it ebbs and flows, and it like yeah it it's still to this day like I don't think I've ever met one of them that's like, "Oh yeah, I'm like thousand percent for it and or I'm a thousand percent against it
0: it's It's very circumstantial, mm-hmm. you know sub- subjective. It is. As to when you feel
1: like, like, like Albert Fish. Yeah. Fish fry, you know? That's, you know? yeah. I want to talk about a punishment, which now that we're like on this conversation, I want to. Are you going to talk about the one for Alabama that's now legal again? No. No, it's worse. It's a different country. Um, okay, guys, I promise we will get back to the case, but it's a great, it's a great spot to like throw this in. Okay, here perfect. I found this out about this the other day and it was S- Switzerland. Is it Switzerland or? I was about to say Auschwitz, but that's a concentration camp. Wow. Not, Not the right one. Yeah, Switzerland doesn't use the death penalty. So it's in Singapore, guys. So, and there might be a couple other countries who do this. And so, guys, this is the most brutal trigger warning leave now if you need to yeah yeah trigger warning skip ahead 10 minutes or whatever I don't know it won't take me that long to explain this but okay so if you get if you get caught committing a crime depending on the severity of the crime in Singapore you can get so many years in prison and also so many lashings so let's say that you raped a woman And you got five years in prison and you also got 10 lashes. So you don't know when these lashes are coming. You just go to prison and then like one day they just call your name and you go down with a list of, like a line of other prisoners to get your lashes. You can only get in up to, I think it was 25 lashes and you have to be under the age of 50 in order to receive lashes. (sighs) Now you walk into this room And there is this machine, like this is shit they still do today. It like is mind boggling. You put, you get strapped to this machine. You get your legs strapped. You get put, you have to put on these special pants where like the buttocks is cut out are you okay? Can I keep going with this? Um,
0: Just keep going. Oh, my God. Okay, okay.
1: (laughs) You're making this so much worse for me by not just saying (laughs) it. The anticipation of it for them is horrible. Okay, so you get laid over, like bent over, like you're going to get a spanking Mm. on this machine, and they strap you in to where you can't go forward, backwards, or to the side. Like, you cannot move. And then they take these, I think they're six foot long, about an inch thick sticks that have been soaked in water all night long. And then the flogger guy takes these sticks and starts like whirling them through the air and they sound like a a cracking whip. Okay. And then they take this fucking stick and they hit you in the ass with it. Okay. But this stick is flying at 90 miles per hour. When it hits your ass, blood going everywhere. Oh my God. Lola's face was was what I was when I found out of it. I was like, what the fuck? My jaw was on the fucking desk. Now, you can get up to 25 lashes. Oh my God, okay? they no. They have medical professionals on scene that if you look like you're about to pass out, they will stop it. Let's say you have five lashes, but you only do three of them before they stop it. You have two lashes left. You cannot come back another day and get those lashes. Those turn into two years added to your prison sentence. Prisoners say that it is the worst part is not even getting the lashings. It is the healing from it because it is such massive open wounds that like they barely treat the first day. They give you some antibiotics and they're like, good luck. Everything is sticking to it. Your pants are sticking to it. You can't lay down. You can't sit down. And it is just, what? What? They still use that today. And I had a really hard time hearing about this because the case I heard about it was a case of multiple men drugging their wives for years and allowing their friends to come and sexually assault and rape them while they were drugged up. And they got caught and they videotaped it and they all got caught. And I was like, you know what? Get your lashings. Yeah, fuckers. <laughs> she says <said, laughs> they're equally fucked, <laughs> equally raped. Right? Mm. Wow. So at first you're like, "Ooh, that is horrible," but then on the other hand, you're like, "Okay, but like I don't feel bad that you got it.
0: I just don't even know like cuz it doesn't even make a fucking difference, you know?"
1: They actually do have less crime
0: rates in Singapore? Mhm. Well, yeah, uh-huh. and and Asian countries, they tend to have a little less crime because it's such absolutely strict.
1: They're laws. very strict, and their justice system is like very fast moving. Like, no, if you're, like,
0: you're not on death you're, row. You're you're killed.
1: No, you're there's dead not in, you're, death row. You commit a crime, you're caught, you're tried, you're dead within a week or something yeah. like that. It's fast. So, it might not be that fast, but you know what I mean. <sighs> and, and we can compare it. But I had to talk about that. I no, found out yeah, that yeah. a couple weeks ago, and I was like.
0: What the actual fuck? Back to Shasta or Joseph or whoever we're talking about. But yes, where are we at?
1: Okay, so he decided that he's just going to become another sex offender again. He's like, they call me one, they think I am one, I'm just going to become one. So in the summer of 2004, Joseph traveled to Detroit Lake in Minnesota. And while he was there, he stopped, stalked, sorry, stalked a few boys at a public park before approaching them and fondling one of them. After the incident, the, oh my God, I need your shirt. I'm so sorry. This was so, Lola stretched and she's wearing an Eddie Munson shirt from uh, Stranger Things. It says Hawkins, 86. Oh my God, I need that. Okay, sorry. That was such a caveat. I'll send you the link. I need that. We'll link in the show notes. So sorry. (laughs) So sorry. Um. Joseph was quickly identified. The boys were able to identify him because he has a cut and scar a scar on his lip. So he was put in jail. He was arrested and put in jail. But the judge, the judge granted him bail. Why? I don't, great question. Now I don't have an answer for you. Again? Fucking again? People are not supposed to be granted bond if they are a flight risk. I'm sorry. Why would you not think he's a flight risk? For What? And then he's granted his bond and then he has one of his friends um actually puts up the $15,000 bond for him. So like... Quick little caveat. Um, how does he have friends? And um, I was gonna say who the fuck where is, is putting 10000 dollars up for him? Like I don't even know that I have a family member that would have put that up for me if these were the crimes I would have been committing. In this no who's this friend? Who the fuck is this friend? I have I have questions. Those that we don't have answers to.
0: Eh,
1: now, no. not shocking to literally anyone. Uh, the moment Joseph was released on bond, he fled. Four less than four months after he fled, he was arrested at Denny's and Shasta Groney was rescued. If he would not have been given bond, none of this would have happened to Shasta's family. Really? Now, mm-hmm. hmm. at the police station, they interviewed Joseph, but he wouldn't say a word. They were desperate to find Dylan because... Only Shasta has been rescued at this point. And they tried over and over and over again, but Joseph was silent. He refused to speak. He wouldn't say a damn word to them. So let's go back to Shasta. Now, when she was taken to the hospital to be examined, they quickly discovered that she did have internal injuries and she was rushed into surgery. When she woke up, she opened up her eyes to see her father standing over her. I am sure that the relief she felt in that moment seeing her father is something that, like, we will never be able to comprehend.
0: Mm-mm, no.
1: Especially once you hear what this poor child went through. Now, like I said, Joseph's not talking. So, in order to find out what happened, the police have no other option but to interview Shasta yeah. and ask her to tell them what went down. So, here, It's Shasta's story. I'm gonna give you guys another trigger warning because this is just so heartbreaking. The night of the incident, Shasta was awoken by her mom crying and telling her that there was somebody in the house that didn't want them there. So Brenda wakes up Shasta and after she does, she brings her out to the living room. As Shasta walked in, she saw Slade and Mark tied up on the floor and a guy dressed in all black with a shotgun and a mask. He told them to get on the ground and he tied the remaining family members up. Shasta instantly knew something was wrong, but had no idea what to do. After they all got tied up, the man told everyone to keep their heads on the ground and not to look up. After a few minutes, Shasta felt a tap on her shoulder and she looked up to find the man standing over her with his finger to his lips, telling her to shh. He then picked her up and took her outside and laid her on the ground next to her brother Dylan by their apple tree. As Dylan and Shasta laid there terrified, they start to hear some banging sounds, and then what sounded like Mark grunting. After, or like while they're hearing this, a few seconds later, Shasta sees Slade come running from the house, and he was covered in blood, and his hands were still tied behind his back. Somehow, he had been able to get his feet free, and he made a run for it. Now, she could tell that Slade was confused and didn't really know where to go. It's also nighttime, it's pitch black, and it's just woods around you. Next thing she saw was the masked man come around the house, catch Slade, and start repeatedly beating him over the head with the hammer. After that, Joseph came over to Shasta and Dylan, cut their zip ties off, and told them to walk. The kids were forced to walk right beside Slade's brutally beaten body. Shasta said that when she was walking by him, he looked up at her, and she looked down at him, and then he just slumped over. At that moment, Shasta thought that that was when Slade died, but... If you remember, Slade's body was actually found inside the home with his head at his mother's feet. So the investigators um, said that they believed that after Shasta, Dylan, and Joseph left, Slade then tried to get back into the home, and that's why they found his blood everywhere. Um, It was on the door, on the steps. It was in front of the kid's bedroom in the grass outside. It was everywhere. So he was kind of fumbling around trying to make his way back inside. Poor kid. He ends up making his way. I know. He made his way back inside eventually and got into the living room where his mom and Mark died and he fell at her feet and died there.
0: Oh my
1: God. I know. I know. So that's why it was his blood everywhere. Yeah. And Brenda yeah. and Mark's blood was only found by their bodies. So now after leaving the Grony home, Joseph took Dylan and Shasta to a campsite in the Lolo Forest in Montana, about 150 miles away from their home. This was a very desolate area and nobody, I mean, nobody was around them. At first, Joseph <laughs> told the kids that his name was Joe, and but they weren't allowed to call him that. Instead, Jesus Christ, it's so gross. Instead, they had to call him Dad. I knew it. Daddy. Oh, no. Or Jet. Or Jet. Jet?
0: Shut the fuck up. Apparently. You pompous ass. Just
1: just hold on. It gets really gross. Great. Apparently, in prison, he had a prison husband, and his prison husband affectionately gave him the name Jazzy
0: Jet. Oh. And so... Okay. Okay.
1: Two. I'm smiling because I feel awkward.
0: I have to I have to leave the state. I have to go.
1: All uh-huh. Ooh, I, yeah. I can't.
0: Let's all wash right. out our whole brains. I, I need to take my brain out of its uh-huh. cavity and give it a good bleaching <laughs> and then set it back in. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. That's all I need to
1: give it a good boiling. You know, boiling to like sanitize it. Just-
0: mm. All right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's how he got that name. Okay. Mm. Now, to try and prevent the kids, right, to try to prevent the kids from escaping, Joseph took his shotgun and he shot a tree. He then told the kids that if they tried to escape, he would shoot them just like he did the tree. This was terrifying because he had a shotgun and the kids saw how massive a hole the shotgun made in the tree. And so it did its job. And... Since the kids were so young, they really didn't understand the gravity of what had happened back at the home. Like they saw Slade, but they didn't see the other two. Mm -hmm. And so Joseph was actually able to convince them that their mom, Mark, and even Slade were just fine. And that eventually they would get to go home if they just did what he said. And they believed him. At the campsite, within the first hour of being at the campground, Joseph said the Lord's Prayer and then forced the children to recite it as well. As the children were reciting the Lord's Prayer, Joseph started sexually assaulting both children. <sighs> mm-hmm. Ew. It's like, you don't even have words. Joe, can I have a word with you? I I just <clears throat> I, I I I I'm sorry, but I would be okay with this man being flogged. He can get the cane. He can get all 25 lashes. No comment. And then get the death penalty.
0: <laughs> I know we don't we don't see eye, but like I just no, this, I, that's the justice side of I, me. It's not that I don't want absolutely horrible, equally horrendous acts done on this person. I know. committing them. It's just... You You just have the ability... It can't be undone. Like Shasta yeah. and Dylan, nothing can be undone. Mm-mm. Not to yeah. say that... Uh, this makes it seem like I don't care about the justice of it or like the uh, reprimanding them like in a, a vengeful, like a righteous kind of way.
1: You... I don't want you to take that for granted that you have the ability to see the good in in even really bad people. I don't see the or, good in Or him. to or not I can't see the right good, now, but like but. <laughs> to hope, I know, right? To hope <laughs> that there could be good in this person. Like, I think that is a really good quality and can come in handy. I wonder if I'm just a worse off person because... No, I was going to say that is what I mean by like you're a better person than me because I'm like... Cut his balls off, motherfucker.
0: (laughs) I don't think about it that way, though. I don't like the death penalty in general because it's like, yeah, that we can't be playing God like that. But also, life is absolutely horrible. Mm -hmm. You know, being alive is hard. Being dead is nothing. Yeah. So it's like, I would just rather have you suffer for a very long... I hope that you live a very long, horrendous... Life, mm-hmm. you know, I hope maybe the abuse will come back to you tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold. You know, yeah. Let karma rain down the way it needs to on you.
1: Mm-hmm. And we'll get. I'll I'll comment more on this when we get to like his actual sentencing and stuff because there are two <laughs> very valid points to the death penalty, um, and yeah. that is another thing that I struggle, but I I don't want to talk about it yet until we get okay. to his his sentencing. So yeah. Starts sexually assaulting them as they're saying the Lord's prayer. Shasta said that one minute he would be saying God sent him, and then the next he'd be saying that he was the devil himself and that the devil sent him that to do the devil's bidding. So, like this man is all over the place. Like he's not all he's not all there. Like like not all there. Classic. I had a strict upbringing
0: mm-hmm. that was maybe religious. And Mm -hmm. I've just gotten a lot of wires crossed
1: over the years. Very religious, very strict. I couldn't find like details, but like that's all. Like extremely strict, extremely religious. Boy,
0: I also had to recite this shit over and over to my parents.
1: (laughs) I never thought about hurting a kid. Fucking hurting a kid. Yeah. Mm -mm. I
0: never thought about any of that shit. Yeah. You got no
1: excuses. None. Mm. So the first night they were in captivity, Shasta and Dylan laid next to each other and were able to talk once Joseph fell asleep. Mm. They told each other how scared they were, but Shasta told Dylan that she would protect him and that they would make it home. She even pinky promised him. Shasta. That night they fell asleep holding hands. Mm. And she's the youngest. She is. She's eight. He Mm. was nine. Now, uh, the kids underwent horrific sexual and physical abuse every day they were in captivity. If Joseph had to go to town to get food, he would chain the kids up to a tree or to the tent that was anchored to the ground with spikes. But he would tie them up far enough away from each other that they couldn't help each other get free. But Shasta said that it really didn't matter if he would have tied them up close together or not because they wouldn't have tried to escape because they were literally in the middle of the forest. like. They had no idea where to go. And she said that we would have starved to death or been attacked by wildlife before we would have ever made it to any kind of civilization. So she's like, we wouldn't have tried to escape. You just try to survive where you're at. hmm yeah. After a few days, Joseph had the kids play this game where they tried to catch this squirrel that kept coming into their campsite. He told them that if they caught the squirrel, that they could go home. Apparently the squirrel was pissing him off. So one day uh, <laughs> after, I know, this guy's weird. After multiple attempts, Dylan actually caught the damn squirrel. Oh, my and God. And so he's excited. Like, we get to go home. I know, how'd you catch this fucking squirrel? I'm impressed. Uh, Joseph told the kids, okay, pack up your stuff and let's go. With excitement, Shasta and Dylan start packing up their stuff. Like it's they don't have much. There's just a couple of things, and so they get it together. And after they finish packing, Shasta and Dylan just hug each other really tight. After their hug, they stood there holding hands, filled with excitement about the ability to now go home. As they were standing there holding hands, Shasta hears a loud bang and then a crashing sound. Next thing she knew, she felt her brother's hand slip from hers. She looks down to find her brother kneeling on the ground, trigger warning, guys, graphic, um, holding his stomach, trying to keep it from falling out. In shock, Shasta stands there staring in disbelief and then Joseph walks up and shoots Joseph, er, shoots uh, Dylan in the head at Point Bank Range. After that, Joseph made Shasta help him put Dylan on a tarp with all his belongings before Joseph poured gasoline onto Dylan's body and set him on fire. That night, Shasta sat and watched her brother's body burning and said that she thought she could hear him screaming. She said there was part of her that literally actually thought that he was alive, even though she knew he wasn't. I I can't imagine what that poor child has been. She's eight. I just want to remind everybody, she's fucking eight years old. Yeah, there's no words. There's no fucking words to what she had to not only witness, (sighs) but fucking experience. Like she had to help. Now, after um, that night, Shasta was consumed with grief at the fact that she wasn't able to keep her promise she had made her brother. She had pinky promised him that they would make it home safe, but now Dylan's body lay dead and burned in a tarp. Because of this, Shasta says that even to this day, she will never and has never made another pinky promise or promise to anybody. After this, Shasta constantly believed that she was going to die, and Joseph confirmed that thought when one day he asked her how she wanted to die by being shot or strangled. Shasta made her decision that she wanted to be strangled. She saw what happened to her brother, and she didn't want that to happen to her body. She also believed that if he strangled her, it would give her time to talk him out of it. And she was right. Again, this child is eight. Like, I can't stress that enough that this child is eight. Okay? One time, Joseph laid her on the ground, put a rope around her neck, and started to strangle her. She's, with everything starting to turn black, she says, please don't jet. And the moment she said those words, he loosened his grip and began to cry. He told her that when she called him Jet, he could tell that she actually cared about him. And that was the moment Shasta knew she had gained his trust. Like again, she's fucking eight. What she goes on to do next, I'm just like What an intelligent. I girl. she's amazing. Like it I so, so she's I, like, I would not have thought about this at eight. I'm would not. Nope. I'd have been like, I'm I'm she's dead.
0: compartmentalizing so many like pieces of trauma already mm-hmm. to like stay in survival mode. She has not panicked yeah. oh, at this yeah. point, or if she has, Mm-mm. it hasn't stopped her from the plan of survival. You know,
1: it, exactly. Mm-hmm. It hasn't consumed her. It's mental mm-hmm. warfare, and she's winning. At eight, shit. I'm impressed. I'm so impressed. Uh, After this realization, she thought she actually stood a chance to survive. So she started to act like she truly cared about Joseph and wanted to be with him. Every time the topic of taking her home was brought up, she would constantly tell him no and say that she wanted to stay with him. There were moments that she could tell that he was sad, and she told him that he could talk to her. So over time, Joseph started to grow more and more attached to Shasta, and he ended up opening up and talking about his life. He told her that he had gotten in trouble and he knew he was going to have to go back to prison. He even told her how he wanted to find kids that were young and would drive by places looking for them. And he actually found a few, but the kids were either too old or lived in places where it wasn't feasible for him to kidnap them. Like too many people around, too populated kind of thing. He told her that he had gotten to a point where he wasn't finding any children on this little escapade of his and that were if within the age range that he wanted or in a place where he could kidnap them. And so he was just giving up and going back home. But on his way home, he drove by the grony home and saw Shasta and Dylan playing outside in the pool while their mother was mowing the lawn. The moment he saw them, he decided he wanted them. And so over the next handful of days, he stalked their home and watched the neighbors um, and their activity, and he scoped out everything until the night of May sixteenth, two thousand five, when he walked into their home, and we know what happens next. Now, after seven weeks in captivity, Joseph asked Shasta if she would stay with him and call him dad. Shasta said yes, and. He told her that he was going to take her to meet his family and then they would get their own place. He had literally thought or convinced himself that he was going to be able to stroll up to his motherfucking mother's house in Washington, introduce Shasta to his family, and then go out and just start being a family with her as if nothing had ever happened or as if none of his family members were actually going to turn him in. Like, delusional to the highest extent.
0: But we love the delusional ones because
1: they get stupid. I was... They get stupid. They get lazy, they get messy. And
0: that's when we win, you know?
1: I I literally, in my notes I have, now thank every deity that's out there because his delusion is what became his downfall. (laughs) Yes, yes. Now, since his mother lived in Washington, the only way to get to her was to drive right through Coeur d'Alene. Since they were forced to travel through Coeur d'Alene, Shasta came up with a plan. She asked him if they could make a few stops in Coeur d'Alene because she wanted to show him where she went to school, some of the places she liked hanging out. She wanted to share her life growing up with him. Now, this shocked Joseph, but also touched him because It was as if Shasta really cared about him and in his delusional head, even in a way loved him. So he agreed. And the next day they left and they head off to Washington and they arrive in Coeur d'Alene at 1.30 in the morning, stopping at the Denny's. And we know what happens after that. So, is a fucking badass at eight years old. I can't give
0: this- High praise for, for the emotional manipulation that she, And I mean that like
1: in a- it, You had to do it. It was had, the right move. No. And- It was the right I, move. I'm just amazed that at eight, she was able to do that, to, to manipulate the situation, to have the wherewithal. My anxiety at eight would not have let me do that. Like, I would I would not have been able to do that. Yeah, I think
0: I could be wrong about this because I don't know a lot about psychology, but I'm kind of thinking with his abusive past, he is like, not that he stopped aging kind of thing, but he has the emotional yeah. capacity of something that's near Shasta's age. So, like, mm-hmm. she's able to understand or, like, pick out it seems like he maybe feeling this. It seems like he could relate to me on this, you know? And it's like a way to kind of uh, get in that way, you know?
1: You're right, you're right. I because think she trauma, saw a lot of mirroring
0: emotions between the, the both of them.
1: And I didn't make a note of this, but that's sounding familiar that she, I think she did say in her interview that that he would at times seem very childlike. And that is true, that trauma depending on like the type of trauma, especially if it's more like extensive and and like more intense trauma, it literally stops your brain from developing like an emotional maturity. Like you kind of get halted at that age. Yeah. And so I'm probably saying that wrong, but like I I remember learning that when I went through it. No, it ice. makes sense. The way you're putting it, it makes sense. Yeah. it It stunts your brain's developmental growth. It's a better way of saying it. So yeah, that that makes sense. I'm just impressed. So yeah. (laughs) Now, after Shasta recovered in the hospital, she ended up showing the investigators where the campsite was in the Lolo Forest in Montana. They then were able to recover Dylan's remains and created a memorial where he had died. The Jeep that Joseph and Shasta had been traveling in had been reported stolen, and the FBI went back through it and Joseph's belongings. They had found a laptop and a video camera, including both video and pictures that had been taken during Shasta and Dylan's captivity. These videos and pictures included the children in different states of undress and even being tortured. They even discovered that Joseph had a blog. This goddamn motherfucker. In his blog, he vented all about how angry he was at the system and being a registered sex offender. Oh my God, poor you. He even went on and on about how he believed that there wasn't anything wrong with sex between a minor and an adult. He even said in his blog, quote, my intent is to harm society as much as I can, then die, end quote. I just want to go ahead and say this. If you
0: are a person that identifies as a map Stop listening to us. Stop. Go away. You're not part of this community. Fuck off. Fuck your whole existence. Go away.
1: Yeah. Go away. I had to like think of for a second what MAP was. And I was like, oh, yeah, minor attracted person. Yes.
0: Yeah. No, fuck you. Go the... It's not... That's not a thing. A minor attracted person is not a
1: thing. If you think it is, you can leave and you can go fuck yourself. Go away. And don't ever have access to the internet or children ever... Ever again. Absolutely not. Just walk yourself away right the fuck now. Right the fuck now. 1000%. Oh, so, yeah. Congratulations, my dude. Goal achieved. You, you know, <laughs> good job. You want to be I don't know what the fuck to say to you. Uh, At this moment, um, I would like to also remind everybody um, how the first time he was in prison, he was put in a state hospital where he was being evaluated, and they concluded that Joseph Duncan was a man that would never be able to be rehabilitated. Yes. And yet, even with those evaluations, he was given parole. Now, remember, those years are going to come back, okay? 1996 and 1997. Don't forget those. And um, Now, when he was out on bond was when the whole grony massacre and kidnapping had all happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, due to Shasta's testimony and everything they found on Joseph's laptop, they suspected that there may be more victims. This was a pretty intense crime for it to be his first. Mm-hmm. So, they're like, mm, we need to do some digging. Through the electronic GPS in the Jeep Cherokee, they found they were able to like track him from Fargo, North Dakota to Coeur d'Alene. They found 33 waypoints on his journey. Now these were points that he like specifically marked in the car's internal GPS. And when they went to each of of these waypoints, they found that it was a target that Joseph had like made a note of. And this was points where a child lived. Each of them were a home where a child lived. Now, as time went on in the investigation, and they I just talked, got the grossest know, right? chill from that. Oh. I mean, you know, they talked to these homes like, did you see anything? Did you notice? You know, that these families found out that they had a fucking predator stalking and making note of their address and their child. Like, I, that is trauma in and of itself. Yeah. Like, the, oh my God. Well, as time went on, the investigation kept going on. They talked with Shasta more and more. Over time, she did tell them about more crimes that Joseph had committed in other states before her, and he told her about them. The investigators then contacted the FBI Crimes Against Children Unit and relayed the information. Immediately, the FBI called them back and told them to go to the Riverside, California, County Sheriff's Office website and look up a boy named Anthony Martinez. Now, one day, 10-year-old Anthony Martinez and his little brother Mark, along with two other neighborhood kids, were outside playing when an older white man with a mustache wearing a baseball cap approached them on April 4th of 1997 Mm. in Beaumont, California. The man asked if they would help him look for his kitten, and if they did, he offered to pay them each one dollar. All the boys said yes and went into the alley to help the man look for the cat. The boys, of course, didn't last long looking and quickly told the man they couldn't find it. The man then gave each of them a dollar, but then pulled out a knife on all of the children. Ten-year-old Anthony stepped in the way of all of the other children to protect them from the man. The man then grabbed Anthony and threw him into the back of his van before speeding away. The children, the boys all quickly ran back to their parents and told them what happened. Fifteen days after the abduction and 60 miles outside Beaumont, someone noticed a lot of vulture activity at Purdue Canyon and decided to investigate. Unfortunately, in the canyon, they found Anthony's bar- Anthony's body buried in a hillside of rocks with his wrists and ankles bound with duct tape." After his body was examined, it was concluded that he had been sexually assaulted. At the scene, they had found a roll of duct tape, and there was a thumbprint left on it with some DNA. Now, at the time, in 1997, technology hadn't advanced enough for them to run the sample because there was not enough nuclear DNA from the DNA sample. The fingerprint that was collected was only a partial fingerprint, and so they couldn't run it through and do like a one-to-one match or comparison within their database. So they It just went cold. After the investigators read up on Anthony's case, they quickly noticed many similarities. They were both, you know, bound in duct tape, sexually assaulted, and Anthony was around the same age of Shasta and Dylan. He was 10, Shasta was 8, Dylan was 9. Yeah. So they get a search or a, a warrant to get all of Joseph Duncan's fingerprints so that they can try to match it to that fingerprint that was on the duct tape roll that was found at Anthony's body. Mm -hmm. When they go in to Joseph's cell or room or wherever he was to get his fingerprints, they walk in and Joseph says, I bet you're here about Martinez. Um, If that's not a confession, then like, I don't know what the fuck is. (laughs) Just made our job easier. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Right? Right? And then... I, in some weird turn of events, Joseph decides to confess to killing two girls in Seattle in 1996, the year prior to the murder of Anthony Martinez. Now, in July of 1996, 11-year-old Sammy Joe White and her half-sister, nine-year-old Carmen, were staying at a hotel with their mother and teenage sister. The two girls usually went out on their own to explore the town, but they always returned at nightfall. One night, the girls didn't return and their mother got worried. She ended up calling 911 and filed a missing persons report for both children. The police investigated and looked for the children, but with no leads or tips, the case grew cold. It was said that it was like the girls just literally vanished into thin air. Over the years, their mom would hear someone had seen the girls, and so she would get on a bus and go looking, but every lead and every tip ended in a dead end. Two years after their disappearance, an unhoused person was staying in a rundown building when they came across some human remains. It was just bones that they found. So they notified authorities and the bones were collected. After some testing, it was confirmed that it was the remains of Sammy and Carmen and that they had been buried for the entire two years they had been missing. My God. Due to them being buried for so long and decomposition and it just being bones left, they couldn't determine the girl's cause of death and there was no evidence to point them to any leads or suspects. Mm. Now, I don't think that they were ever able to like conclusively link Joseph Duncan to the murders of Sammy and Carmen, but you, I think it's pretty much highly they believed had confession that his and... confession was true. Yeah, and it's believed that it is true. They're around the same age. And the timeline tracks with him being... It all fucking tracks. So, but they did do the fingerprint analysis and the DNA. I think I think they did the DNA. Um, and they did conclusively link him to the death of Anthony Martinez. In October of 2006, Joseph pled guilty to killing Brenda, Mark, and Slade, but the judge postponed his sentencing uh, trial because they wanted to pursue the federal death sentence with the federal kidnapping charges. Right before the kidnapping trial, Joseph... I don't know why, excused his attorney and decided to represent himself. I love when they do that. Why? (laughs) I know. They're so, so stupid. He did end up pleading guilty to the kidnapping charges, but they still needed to have a sentencing trial. So the prosecution wasn't trying to prove his innocence or guilt, just like they were pushing for the death penalty. So they were trying to show that a life sentence for him in prison was not suitable. Like this was not a good idea. And the prosecution and most of, if not all of the cops were for the death penalty for Joseph because they said that him, and I have to agree with them, him living in prison gave him the opportunity to relive and fantasize about his crimes over and over and over again. That makes sense. Yeah. And I get that. And Like, this is what I was going to say about the death penalty. I completely get that. And I think it is definitely like a case-by-case basis because there are those who, them living in prison day in and day out is more traumatic than just ending it all with the death penalty. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely a, it just depends. But they they were pushing for the death penalty. Now, because they wanted the death penalty... They, the prosecution decided that they needed to show the video of Dylan being tortured. Joseph, why? God. I have, I really have problems that they did this. I understand why they did it, but like. A
0: minor. He's a minor. He's dead. He has no consent to like, his, that's his, I get it. But like his
1: privacy was invaded. That's gross. Mm Mm-hmm. And, that's gross. Uh, there's there's another reason, and we can talk about it when I get to the end of this, but that I was like, you fucking did that to h- his memory and to his family yeah. when this is what happens. So Joseph tried to object to it because he knew that that's a heinous fucking video. And if it gets seen, nobody's going to walk away from watching that without giving him the death penalty. Now his objection was denied and the tape was played. And on August 27th, 2008, Joseph Duncan got three death sentences all related to Dylan's murder. He also received five life terms for the other murders. At his sentencing trial, the judge said that in all of his years as a judge, he had never met anyone as evil as Joseph Duncan. Shit. Bob, the friend, said that he, he he was quoted saying, who knows how many people Shasta saved. Oh. And i like, can't agree with him more. She did. Like, who knows? Yeah. Now, to this day, crosses are hung in the driveway of the Grony home in the Wolf Lodge district right outside. Is Porter it still Lane. there? And mm-hmm. I, I think the home is still there. Yeah. Yeah. No one lives if it, there. If the home is not there, then I don't think so. I should have looked that up. I don't, I don't think so. Mm. But in this area, this tragedy is still remembered by many who lived there. Of course. Now, unfortunately, after Shasta was rescued, she struggled as she grew up, which who the fuck wouldn't? Everyone knew who she was. Everyone knew what she had been through. She couldn't walk into a store without people staring at her and then her being reminded of what she witnessed and went through. As she got older, she got into partying and alcohol and I think drugs um, just to try to get away from being Shasta She didn't want to be Shasta anymore. She ended up spending most of her teen years in the juvenile correctional facility, but when she got out, she ended up getting pregnant with her first son and quickly turned her life around. In 2018, she got married and moved to Boise, Idaho, where she happily lives today. While on death row, Joseph Duncan died in March of 2021 from brain cancer before he could be executed. He didn't even actually technically get the death penalty. He still got to live in prison every day, day in and day out, fantasizing about everything. The death penalty is such a long process that... In this country, it is. It just... And I don't have solutions. I don't have answers. And I'm not saying they should or shouldn't have done what they did. I just, it angers me that they showed that video.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I, I definitely don't agree with that. <laughs> with showing that yeah. video. Uh, why couldn't just, you just...
1: It was such a heinous crime. And I, okay, I will say this. I, I, I'm not in law, so I don't know what they needed and not needed. But I don't know if they chose... I could see them choosing to play the video. Dylan's over Shasta's because Shasta's, Shasta is still alive. And mm-hmm. they don't want to further embarrass her. And they're trying to keep Shasta from having to take the stand. But at the same time, knowing... I guess this is where I commit... This is where I stand is knowing that the death sentence isn't actually a death sentence here in America 90% of the time. I don't know if that's a real statistic. I made that up, but majority of the time. I feel like it's pretty accurate. Sit, it, it's pretty freaking accurate. Knowing that that's the case they shouldn't have done that. They didn't need to. He life sentence. He's already pled guilty. He's already fucking pled guilty. He's going to prison. He's definitely getting a life sentence. Give the de- give the death sentence, or give the life sentence and not tarnish Dylan's poor memory. And Yeah. Like, ugh. It's just gross. Like I said, guys, yeah. It's fucked up. I, you see what I mean by, like, there's no accurate word for it. I just kept coming back to this is fucked up in so many different ways. Every way you flip it, turn it, it's just fucked up. And Joseph looks like a bitch. What does he look like? I can't remember what he looks like. I did all my research. <laughs> I just looked up a picture of him. He looks like a fucking bitch. <laughs> I am gonna look him up. Shasta and uh, Dylan as kids, like, so... F- they're cute. Shasta's cute now as well. But, like, as kids, it's just like, oh, my God, they're so... No, I saw pictures
0: of them, too. They were adorable. And then she's beautiful yeah, now. Cause... I mean... Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, and she's got... I think she has a a kid now, right? She yeah, she had her first son and that's what made her turn her life around, but I think um she has multiple kids now. I think nice. at least two. I'm not I'm not sure. I didn't really dig into her personal life and where she's at right now. Um That's okay. I wanted to I wanted to give her that space. I love when we do that. When we just say like, "Hey, they're good now. We don't have to okay. worry about it." You know?
0: We can just mm-hmm. If she wants to give
1: interviews, cool. That's That's
0: fine. I just... Uh, By all means, yeah. That's her story to tell, you know? Yeah, but Joseph, you look like a fucking bitch. You stupid ass dead motherfucker.
1: Do you know what he... Like who he reminds me of? I know who you're gonna say. Who? who? No, you say it. I'm gonna... Hold on. No, I'm gonna write it down to see if we (laughs) think of the same person. I gotta go look at this picture again. (laughs) <laughs> I like I wonder if anybody else go look at his picture really quick pause this go look over on our Instagram page look at his picture and tell me if you thought of the same person that I thought of are you ready yeah okay who do you think I'm thinking of <laughs> now I don't know oh really I think, it's a okay. criminal. It's a criminal. He's a pretty, pretty, not famous. Um, I don't use the word famous, but pretty well known for his crimes. O- only
0: Infamous, a... whatever. Yeah. Uh, okay. It tell me six years ago. We're not thinking Chris of the same Watts. person. Okay. Chris Watts. Okay. A little bit. I'm thinking Bob Saget. Oh no. Poor Bob Saget. No. Okay, but no. Does he not but look no, like Bob, poor Saget? Bob Saget?
1: No, he doesn't. I like Bob Saget. He doesn't look like Bob. Uh, he just like something about his no.
0: like. Okay, not A his younger nose.
1: Bob Saget.
0: Mm-hmm. A younger yeah. Bob Saget. Yes, Let that's what I'm thinking. Them. How old was this Joseph person? Ah, fuck. You're right. I can't unsee it. Is the problem because like yeah, I saw him and I was like Bob Saget. Who like. If you just like... It's like Bob... It's like Bob Saget
1: and Chris Watts had a baby. <laughs> oh, shit.
0: That's horrible. That's exactly what I hate like.
1: that Chris Watts so and Bob... Much. Younger Bob Saget had a baby. Poor Bob. Oh, man.
0: We're tarnishing his memory. Uh, nah, if you're a good person, you can't get tarnished.
1: Anyways, we will jump over to our uh, palate cleansers to close you guys out. Because that was oh, a yeah. long case. So, Lola... <laughs> What is your palate
0: cleanser? My palate cleanser is those Betty Crocker cake pans, the ones that you could, like, put ice cream in the middle of your cake. Or, like, frosting or—oh, my God, tell me you remember these. I saw a really cheesy infomercial the other day about it that I remember seeing when I was, like, six years old. No. Now I'm Googling them. Betty Crocker cake pans— and, like, they had... Oh, my God. It's, like, an insert that you could put into your cake yeah. pan to, like, make a divot. And then yep. you make a top layer cake. And then yes. when you, like, you fill it. And then you put the top, the rounded, whatever, the thinner piece yeah. of cake on top. <laughs> you,
1: you know how expensive those bitches are? I
0: know. I know. They are between 40 and $50 on <sighs> eBay. Betty Crocker, Look! go off. I honestly wish I would have jumped on that nineteen ninety nine plus tax. But wait, there's more. A second one for (laughs) $9.99. I mean, why? In this economy? Are you fucking kidding me? But those are awesome. I just,
1: (laughs) I love them. I love it. Did you know, uh, we'll use this as my palette cleanser. I'm kicking a caveat here. Did you know Betty Crocker wasn't actually a real person? I know. I I heard about that
0: from the Office Ladies podcast, I think. Oh, really? Or no.
1: Is I can't that, remember where I found out about
0: it. It was either that or Ear Biscuits, because it's the only two podcasts mm-hmm. I really listen oh, to. Oh, God, I love fucking Ear Biscuits. But yeah, it was like they made her up because like it they was made more her appealing. because
1: hmm because everybody needed, like everybody loved the the recipe. I think they like, put a recipe out one time and everybody loved it and was asking for more. So they just like invented fucking Betty Crocker. It? Uh-huh. Betty Crocker. Uh-huh. That Betty Crocker. Betty Cracker <laughs> <laughs> Like what the hell is funny? How wholesome is that? Um, yeah. <sighs> oh, well, that's today's episode. I'm so sorry, guys. When Thanks. I come next time, I I don't I can't I don't know what you're doing for your next episode, but my next episode is much It's honest it's not that bad. I mean it's bad. Yeah. Okay. It's it's bloody, but it's not that bloody. Okay. Mine is sad. No child things s- happen. Sad yes. Um, same with mine. It's, mine is sad, but it's more of kind of a like, oh, that's a mystery. That's, and then we find out the truth and it's kind of like, oh, that's crazy. Um, it's, it's not as, there's not as, it's not as fucked up as today's case. Okay, guys, I promise. We
0: won't give you another really hard one till later on. So.
1: Yeah, we'll give you a couple of weeks break, but that's <sighs> all. Sorry. You know what you signed up for?
0: Hey, and you know what? <laughs> I really would like to know what you guys feel too about like the death penalty, you know? It's, oh my gosh, It's yes. a very like taboo thing. It's it's controversial. Lots of opinions. I don't feel like any of them are wrong necessarily. I, yeah, honestly, your feelings are valid. If you want to talk about it, talk about it Yeah, with us, at us, whatever.
1: Yeah, comment over on our um, Instagram or tag us in a post or whatever it may be. Anyways, Teenies. that's all for today. Drink your water. Don't be a dick. Don't join a cult. Go pet a bunny. I'm going to do that after this because... I definitely need that, but we'll see you later, guys.
0: Bye. Bye. Also, heathens, if you're enjoying the show so far, please remember to subscribe on whatever platform that you listen to us on. Leave a review and bring a bunny. Just kidding. Lacey has too many of them. She'll bring one for you. Uh, Deadly Faith is brought to you by Choircast Network. It's produced by Lacey Bean and Lola Robbins and audio engineered by Eric Howell. Thanks for listening.